were looking last time at the subject of pornography, and you remember that we uh, focused our attention really on the prevalence of the problem. And one of the things that emerges from that is that we really are at quite a significant and troubling historical moment where the rise in the availability of video material online via laptops and smartphones and so on has led to an unprecedented explosion in the amount of pornographic material that's being consumed. Uh, So this leads us to something of a cusp in uh, historical terms. We just don't know what's going to happen. We've never done this experiment, if that's the right thing to call it, before, where let's say 50% of over 13s and according to some research, 90-something percent of over 19s have been exposed to, in many cases, hundreds of hours of explicit graphic, pornographic video material uh, for years and years and years. And then those people grow up, become adults, try to get married and have stable families and so on. We simply don't know what happens at the societal level when we try a stunt like that as a society. And we're about to find out. Um, That said, um, it's not exactly true that we have no idea what happens and one of the things that I wanted to spend a few minutes now thinking about is what are likely to be the individual effects um, and the effects on families uh, as a consequence of this and then I'd like to move on to think in biblical terms about how we evaluate this it kind of goes without saying uh, pornography is bad lust is bad but it's worth thinking a little bit more deeply if we can why that is the case if for no other reason than it serves uh, something of a motivation for all of us to watch ourselves that we keep clear of it. So let's just begin um, thinking just observationally about some of the effects of uh, pornography use just in itself and the likely increased rate of uh, pornographic material being consumed before we go into that biblical evaluation. So first up, Um, Statistically, there's a whole bunch of research that's been done that connects uh, pornography use with depression and anxiety and uh, insecurity about people's body image and so on. The American Psychological Association says, quote, the saturation of sexualized images of females, women in particular, is leading to body hatred, eating disorders, low self-esteem, depression, unquote. Pornography viewers are something like 300% more likely to be unfaithful in marriage, according to some statistics, and something like 50 uh, or 60% of all divorces involve one or both parties using pornography at certain points in the relationship. Uh, According to one piece of research, porn use is associated with increases in aggression. Um, It's kind of hard to measure this. A lot of it rests on self-reporting and questionnaire data, but It's remarkable, even within that context, that there's a positive correlation between men who use pornography and men who believe uh, that violence towards women is acceptable in some circumstances. That is to say, uh, men who use pornography are more likely to think it's okay to be violent towards women. It's easy to see why that would be the case. And right at the extreme end of the spectrum, uh, there are something like 116,000 searches, online searches, for child pornography and related terms every single day. That data is actually a few years old. It might be more than that uh, now. 
who knows. Uh, but that gives you a sense of where our society is going and what's likely to happen at a social scale as a consequence of the phenomena that we are enmeshed in as a society. At an individual level, there's a whole bunch of research that's been done by psychologists and other social science scientists uh, into this phenomenon. And I'm very far from being uh, an expert on all that kind of material. But even uh, neuroscientists have gotten on, on the um, research. There's um, some really disturbing, uh, that is disturbing and informative material online about the effects of pornography on the human brain. It seems to do things to us that we're just not made for. And um, uh, I hesitate to recommend that kind of stuff to you. But if you're confident that you can um, search for that and you've got your browser settings set up so that you're not going to find yourself uh, coming across unsavory material, then there's a video in your brain on porn. That is to say, it's a, it's a lecture really about what this does to uh, that gray matter inside our heads. And uh, what it does is not good. Um, uh, I'm not going to try and comment on any of that stuff. I think there are some limitations to that kind of research, which I'll hint at in a moment or two. But just to um, summarize in the crudest possible terms, it seems that what the psychologists and neuroscientists are saying at, at the most broad brush level is that this kind of visual stimulation overloads the uh, seek and reward or the pleasure seeking circuitry that has been put in our brains that God's put in our brains uh, they don't phrase it in that way but that is how I would uh, paraphrase it I guess and as a result uh, not only is it highly addictive but it carries all kinds of other neurological ill effects uh, it's, that's what causes uh, the mechanistic level anxiety and lack of confidence and lack of interest in actual physical uh, partners and relationships um, it, it's there, there seems to be a neuropsychological explanation for why let's say uh, married men and women who are uh, consuming pornography might be less interested physically in each other uh, there's a neurological mechanistic explanation for that there are all kinds of physical conditions actual medical conditions which have been linked to uh, porn use I don't want to go into all the, the details but um, mental uh, problems as well, lack of concentration, um, uh, diminished interest in other normal healthy stimuli like food or exercise and so on. Um, in, in short, basically this kind of visual stimulus, which is not something that we've been made by God for, has the effect of physically rewiring our brains and messing us up. Now, uh, I say um, we've not been made by God for this. That highlights actually one of the limitations of this kind of research, which is that it is deeply contaminated, in my view, with an evolutionary outlook on life, which is um, deeply flawed and inadequate, even as far as it goes. Um, but that said, it, it, as, as a mechanistic explanation, it does seem to be uh, reasonable uh, in terms of what's actually happening to an individual human human being who is consuming this material and uh, it's enough to that it ought to make any of us worried about that even if that were the only factor um, involved which clearly it's not um, that said I do think that those kinds of explanations are limited it's a little bit like I guess in all the sciences you know, um, physics is great at explaining why the planets orbit as they do but they don't 
physics doesn't tell us what the scripture tells us about what the planets are for. Um, science is great at explaining certain aspects of how a human being behaves or operates, but that's not the same as explaining what a human being is for. Only scripture can do that. Uh, and to the extent that science lacks that insight, since that's not what it's trying to do, we need to look a little bit deeper. And if anything, the, um, the interest in these kind of psychological explanations reflects, to my mind, a kind of yearning for some kind of deeper explanation, which psychology itself is unable to provide, and only the scriptures can. And so with that in mind, it's worth just thinking about the scriptural teaching about this subject and trying to get our heads around some of that so that we can orient ourselves rightly to it. Obviously, it goes without saying that viewing pornography is a bad idea. It's a sinful thing to do. But why is that so? And there are four things I think it might be helpful for us to reflect on which uh, explore this question a little bit. The most obvious point um, is that pornography encourages lust. Lust is a kind of ungodly desire which we ought to strive to stand against. Um, Jesus remarks, doesn't he, in Matthew 5, that uh, yes, it's true that if you commit adultery, you've committed a sin, but he remarks that anybody who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, that's exactly what's going on when people view pornography. That's why people view it. And for that reason, obviously, it's, it falls under that category of sin which Jesus there condemns. It's worth just clarifying a theological point at uh, this juncture, which is that the desire itself is actually sinful. There's been a debate historically between uh, Roman Catholic Christians and Protestants on this uh, subject uh, connected with what is sometimes called the doctrine of concupiscence. Concupiscence means sinful desire. And strictly speaking, Roman Catholic theology teaches that sinful desire is not itself truly and properly sinful. It's sinful only insofar as it issues in sinful actions. Uh, the reformers unite. Uh, Unanimously, as far as I can make out, agreed that that was not the scriptures teaching about um, sinful desire in general and certainly not lust in particular. Um, rather, sinful desire, desire for sexual gratification, even if it's not acted upon beyond just the desire, is itself sinful. That's not to say that Roman Catholics therefore believe that pornography is okay. They don't, or at least as far as I can make out, uh, none of the Roman Catholic sources that I'm familiar with would argue that. But um, there is that kind of theological background. And just for the sake of clarity, Scripture teaches that even our desires to engage in sinful behavior, even if they exist only at the level of desire, those temptations that we embrace as desires, as opposed to temptations that we shun and don't embrace as desires, are sinful. Uh, there has been something of a controversy in uh, some uh, small corners of the Presbyterian world in recent times about that. Maybe we'll talk about that on another occasion. Uh, but for now, let that be said. Um, uh, in terms of the first uh, problem to identify with pornography from a biblical perspective, it encourages lust. And for that reason, it's sinful.
But we ought to go deeper than that because um, uh, it's easy to stop at that point. And if we do so, not only do we fail to see all of the scriptures teaching on this subject, but we also um, deprive ourselves of some of the motivation, frankly, for want of a better word, that scripture contains to drive us to purity in this area. One of the reasons why um, scriptures... A way of discussing sin and the vocabulary even in Hebrew uh, the Old Testament of uh, describing sin is so detailed is precisely to warn us of all the different things that go wrong or that are wrong with certain sinful ways of life patterns of thought, habits and so on and though it's a miserable experience, it's a salutary one to reflect as deeply as we can on as many different ways as many different angles on the sinfulness of sin as we can. This is something that our Puritan forefathers were not afraid of doing and very probably it was one of the things that made us made them uh, uh, godly in ways that, well, their reputation for godliness stands even to this day. So let's just think about um, lust and pornography in that framework. The second thing we notice then is that there is something intrinsic to our being about sexual desire, whether it's right sexual desire within marriage, husband for a wife or a wife for a husband, or ungodly sexual desire. It is deep-rooted within us. And it's worth asking ourselves why that is. Uh, one way of thinking about it is that it all goes back to the doctrine of creation. You remember the first commandment that was given uh, by God to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 was the command to be fruitful and multiply. And that's not an accident. Um, there's something constitutive of human nature as God has made us that we're made for multiplying, which means that men and women are made for sexual intimacy. And of course, that is to be experienced and enjoyed within the context of marriage. More on that in a second. But that's what we're for. Um, so, OK, in one sense, you could say that, um, well, lust is just like any other sin, just like any other sinful desire. And at one level, it is. Maybe you could say lust is just like greed or lust is just like a temptation to drink too much or lust is just like laziness. OK, at one level, it is. It's sinful. It is a sinful desire. But at another level, it operates at a more fundamental level of our character and nature as human beings. Uh, we are made to be fruitful and multiply in a deeply intrinsic way. And lust, to put it simply, tinkers with that, distorts, manipulates, misuses that deep-seated desire. No surprise then that it's going to have really far-reaching effects on the rest of our lives. If this is what we're made for, if this is at the heart of what it means to be male and female, then clearly anything that uh, tinkers with this, distorts this, is going to have far-reaching effects everywhere else in our life. No surprise that it's so addictive. Uh, no surprise that it creates such a feeling of guilt. Uh, my own experience in pastoral ministry, and actually the experience uh, as I've spoken to people who've struggled with this sin, is that it does produce a deep sense of guilt and shame. And that's partly because it is so intrinsic to us. We'll think, um, I think in the next podcast, we'll talk about the place of that guilt and shame. I should remark at this stage that there is no guilt 
guilt or shame for someone who's repented of this sin or indeed any other. That's the glory of the gospel that we don't cling to that guilt. But uh, it seems just obvious that um, sexual sin of any kind creates a kind of uniquely intense feeling of guilt and shame uh, in us. And there's a reason for that. It's because this is foundational to who we are. To put it another way, it's distorting um, the, the crucial relationship that lies at the heart of the description of male and female as created in Genesis 1 and 2. That is the relationship of marriage. What it does is to rip sexual pleasure out of the context for which it was created. And since that relationship, male, female, husband and wife in marriage is so foundational to human life, Clearly, this sin is going to have uh, foundational effects in this. That's not, of course, to say that um, somebody who never marries is um, uh, somehow uh, missing something foundational to their being or anything crass like that. Uh, they are missing a, a particular relationship and they're missing a significant relationship. We should talk about that another time. But it is to say that um, this particular sin distorts that particular relationship and that needs recognized. Uh, and it's another thing to be uh, conscious of. In practical terms, what this means is that uh, especially young men and young women who indulge in this sin, let's say during their teenage years or their early 20s, really are storing up a whirlwind. Ladies, gentlemen, you really are storing up havoc for yourself in the future. Deal with this thing now. Get it dealt with so that the havoc that it can wreak can be limited right now because it will wreak havoc on that relationship in the future if lord willing that's where you end up let's just change tack slightly and think of another um, uh, aspect of the problem of pornography in biblical terms why is it that uh, pornography is so uh, problematic why is it so sinful what's wrong why is it that there's so much wrong with it well uh, sexual intimacy was designed by God to accompany and be accompanied by a whole range of other responsibilities of life within marriage. It's not just that it was designed to accompany that relationship in the abstract, but that that relationship, husband and wife, is supposed to involve a whole range of shared commitments, shared responsibilities. And sexual intimacy is built into that picture and within that picture, it functions as uh, a, a kind of closeness that cements the relationship and takes husband and wife through those times together in their married life. Just think of the things that uh, marriage uh, involves. Marriage involves a commitment to a shared home. It involves caring for one another, loving one another through uh, wealth and poverty, through sickness and in health and so on and so forth. Pornography involves none of those things. Pornography does not commit you to care for a child. Pornography does not um, require you to work hard in order to sustain and provide for your family. Uh, pornography doesn't require um, a mum to get up at two in the morning to feed her baby or a man to get up at five in the morning to get to work to provide for his kids and his wife. 
Pornography doesn't require us to deal with the personal and emotional and physical needs of somebody else. Pornography is profoundly one-sided in that respect. Pornography doesn't require us to uh, love a spouse in spite of their and our physical imperfections. Pornography totally idealizes and abstracts all those physical aspects of what it is to be husband and wife together. It doesn't place any demands on us. It doesn't require us to deal with our own vulnerability. It doesn't require us to deal gently with the vulnerability of a husband or a wife. All of those things, pornography just completely short circuits. It's like a shortcut to self-gratifying sexual short-term pleasure. It's like the pure, purest form of live for the moment imaginable. Think about it another way. God has designed human society and given us this biblical blueprint in which this most intimate and intense form of pleasure accompanies all these other responsibilities. And in that context, it's a blessing and it's so good for us. And what we do um, with pornography is simply to shunt to one side all those other things that we need in order to grow in maturity and love for one another as human beings. And it just short circuits straight to this shortcut to physical gratification. It is, to put it another way, it's totally anti-eschatological. It, it doesn't require us to be on a trajectory towards growing in maturity and love and grace and kindness and patience and hard work and self-discipline and none of those things. It simply provides or purports to provide that sensation which uh, seems to correspond with that found in sexual intimacy. And so it's profoundly anti-creational, precisely because it makes no demands on us. And so it's like this drug. It's a shortcut to all the things that uh, in the moment a person might think that they want and absolutely drives away all the things that God in his wisdom knows that we need from this most precious relationship between husband and wife. This may be uh, one of the reasons why um, some progress can be made in practical terms in dealing with pornography, uh, that is, a person dealing with their own temptation to it, by actively engaging in some of those other pursuits. I mean, for example, uh, getting a job working really hard, taking responsibility for other people. Even as Paul remarks uh, to Timothy, uh, physical training has some value. Well, physical training uh, teaches us to put short-term pleasure aside for a moment for the sake of long-term gain, so to speak. It trains us in anti self-gratifying short-termism and it's possible even that that's why in God's mysterious way of wiring us physical training has some value as Paul the Apostle says. Pornography by contrast doesn't make any demands at all. It's the purest form of that kind of selfish self-gratification. And finally, um, it seems from all the evidence that uh, 
pornography is addictive in a particularly toxic kind of way, which should come as no surprise to us given what Jesus says in John 8, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin has a way of getting its hooks into us. Uh, the longing doesn't go away when it's temporarily gratified. It simply comes back stronger. And of course, um, psychologists and neuroscientists have their own explanations of this, which I'm not uh, for now going to contend against, simply to say that those are mechanistic explanations. What the Lord says in John 8 is an explanation that operates um, at the level of who we are and our moral obligations and our character as created beings. If we give ourselves to sinful behavior, we become slaves to that sinful behavior. And anybody who's a slave to something has to do what it says, has to do what it wants. And so the experience of many in dealing with this sin is they simply can't stop themselves. Now, that's an analysis I'd want to contend against. You can stop yourself by the grace of God. But the fact that it feels like that to so many is very, very telling because it reveals the truth and the wisdom, as though we need to reminding it of it, of our Lord's words. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. We're making ourselves slaves by allowing ourselves to indulge this. And a slave is likely to get more and more enmeshed in it. And here again, um, the social science surveys correlate perfectly with what you'd expect, given what scripture says. Uh, in, a, in one survey of um, 1,500 young men, 56% admitted that their tastes, as the survey results put it, had become more deviant over time. Now just think about that for a second. This is a, a survey which is relying on self-reporting data. It's relying on people telling the truth about themselves, about something about which they, deep down at some level and perhaps right on the surface, are deeply ashamed. And more than half of them acknowledge, even in that context, they're willing to acknowledge that their tastes had become what, even in their terms, they would describe as more deviant. And suddenly the concerns that we might have about the, the uh, most uh, abusive, violent, barbaric, criminal forms of pornography don't seem so far-fetched after all, do they? So the most obvious thing to do in the light of all that is uh, not to get started. Not ever to get started. And there may be some of you uh, watching this, and I hope if you've never viewed pornography and never been particularly tempted by it, I hope that's the case for many, many of you. And if it is the case, then continue. You will not be making life easier for you, for yourself. You will not be... Uh, stepping on the road towards greater faithfulness. You will not be uh, learning something which could help you in any way by starting down this road. It is a road to ruin. All of which means then, well, there is some significant urgency to us trying to figure out how uh, any believer who has started down this road can get off it. And in the next uh, episode, I'm hoping to get into that, we'll start thinking uh, on the basis of, of what we've thought about uh, this time around, uh, what we can fruitfully do to deal with this temptation, stand against it, start putting in place habits and disciplines, which will lead you away from this kind of sinful behavior. But I think that'll do us for now. Until next time, God bless you and bye for now.